one reading this morning. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 to 16. Paul's writing this letter to the church at Corinth. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I often boast about you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with consolation. I am overjoyed in all our affliction. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted in every way, disputes without and fears within. But God, who consoles the downcast, consoled us by the arrival of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was consoled about you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that I grieved you with that letter, though only briefly. Now I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you felt a godly grief, so that you were not harmed in any way by us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation and brings no regret, but worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourself guiltless in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did the wrong, nor on account of the one who was wronged, but in order that your zeal for us might be made known to you before God. In this we find comfort. In addition to our own consolation, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his mind has been set at rest by all of you. For if I have been somewhat boastful about you to him, I was not disgraced. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting to Titus has proved true as well. And his heart goes out all the more to you as he remembers the obedience of all of you and how you welcomed him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, good morning, friends. Uh, earlier this week, I, uh, I, I did what I always do when I know that I'm preaching this coming Sunday. Uh, I panicked. 
and then uh, I, I turned to prayer and I prayed as I always did. I prayed for all of you that God would prepare your hearts over this coming week so that the word of God that is spoken would go down deep into your hearts and produce a crop a hundredfold. And I prayed for myself that I would declare God's word clearly as I ought, that I would speak as if speaking the very words of God, and that each of us would hear God's word to us as it meets us on this particular day. And so I did. I wrote a very fine sermon, actually. Uh, and I put together some slides, which were very ugly, but they were slides. And uh, I printed off a copy and I made some highlights for Scott so he would know when to progress to the next slide and all of those things. But I didn't really think carefully enough because in our national life today, um, uh, you know, we, our country kind of wakes up to the news that the, the referendum was lost. And now it sounds like some very clever things I said in that sermon would be saying things that in fact I'm not. Because if I can have the slide that I do have left there, please, Scott. The, where we are up to in 2 Corinthians is the end of a very long section. So Paul kind of greets them. You'll remember Karen preached to us about the consolations of Christ that we might share one with another. And then Paul takes up a very long section in the middle. And if we go to the next slide, you can see where we are right at the end of that. And he draws all of that together. And he, his defense of his ministry and why he was right and the joy of hearing that the church repented of their wrongs, uh, Paul kind of ties all that up. And what this passage does is it teaches us how to come to the end of a conflict in the most godly way possible when we're right. Uh, but I didn't really think about the context. So you're not going to hear that. You're going to hear something much, much briefer that I uh, put together since yesterday. So let's pray, and we're going to think of 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, just on verse 10. Let's pray. Father, would you open wide our hearts to all that you say, and grow in us fruits of the Spirit, for the glory of Jesus. Amen. 2 Corinthians 7, chapter 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation and brings no regret, but worldly grief produces death. The Corinthians had done Paul wrong, and they came to see it as such. Paul didn't come to them, uh, like we read in chapter 2, he intended to go, but he did not. He said it was to spare them a painful visit, which might only increase the conflict that they had. So he sent Titus, a co-worker of Paul's. And Titus returned to Paul from Corinth with good news. The Corinthians had repented of their wrong. They came to recognize Paul's rightful leadership. They no longer looked to the opponents of Paul, the super apostles, self-named. And they had dealt with uh, much that was morally corrupted in their church, in their life together. For all the wrong that they had done to Paul and Titus, Paul recognized that he did cause them pain, grief, in a harsh letter that he wrote to them, in a painful visit, in not merely conceding to to. Uh, what they were saying. But he was glad the grief that he caused them led to repentance. He, he almost congratulates them on a godly grief 
which led them to repent, which here means change. And this is all sharply distinguished from a worldly grief. A worldly grief would lead only to death, says Paul. In some ways, this is like distinguishing between shame and feelings of guilt. Shame might be unproductive because it broods and has a story of finality about what I am included in its assumptions. I did a bad thing, therefore I am a bad thing, and that's just what I have to live with, shame. Guilt might be productive because it leads us to recognise a degree of separation between who and what I am and what I have done. And it includes the possibility of change within its assumptions. I did a bad thing, I am guilty, and I need to change. One of the great Christian gifts is a robust story of change, a belief about change, a reason to hold firmly to the commitment of change. Because we believe in growth. We believe in both because we we do believe in, in guilt. Christian faith declares, you are a sinner. You are a sinner. And it, and it declares that to everyone, indiscriminately and uncompromisingly. You have to change. But it also says you can't change. It says you're stuck. You are unable to repair your life. But we do believe in growth because, only because... We believe in God's forgiveness. We believe in God's restoration. We believe in change because God promises that by His Holy Spirit, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. God gives us the possibility of godly grief. Worldly grief throws the sinner back upon his broken self and demands change. Godly grief throws the sinner into the care and embrace of God, his own judge, begs for mercy and finds the promise of transformation. It's always nice to preach about sin, uh, being a sinner, because it's uh, one of the only expert subjects I have. And I can tell you that to see yourself more and more as a sinner, to understand the depth and weight of being a sinner will happen to you the more you look into the life of Jesus and live the Christian faith. But it will become growth when it is paired with seeing yourself more and more beloved by God. We need to grow in these two imaginative spheres of how terrible and weighty is sin, how lost and trapped I am within it, how stuck and mired in this I am, how how terrible is sin, and how great and free is God's forgiveness. And we find growth as these two things grow together. It becomes growth when we hold them together.
So when you're off being a sinner this week, I pray that you will have a growth in godly grief. Pray for more grief about your sins. Perhaps we all keep God at arm's length because it's just too hard to admit how rough and misshapen we are. Perhaps we hold God away because we don't want God to invade our life and we know that he will. But if we lean into that, if we, if we let that happen, then the Bible says we can actually change to become as great as we are given birth to be because the Bible offers us godly grief and asserts in the face of the world you actually have nothing to offer sinners. Only God, the righteous God who can punish sinners, only God has something to offer broken, hurt, guilty people. So it turns out to be good. So don't be grieved without God. Be grieved with God, toward God, about whom Romans 8 has this to say. He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let us pray. Our great God and Father, we ask that you would increase us in a sorrow for our sin. Increase us in the assurance of salvation. Transform us that our grief might give way to joy as you renew us from our inner being day by day from one degree of glory to another. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, given for us. Amen.